Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh after the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them all. What are you doing down here, you Johnny man? Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the show today. This is Ken Early's World Cup Farewell Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Some people would argue that including 11 words in a programme's title would make it sound a little bit clunky, but incredibly, that's not the case, Ken. Ken Early's World Cup Farewell Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast sounds both snappy and informative. Yeah, I suppose it it tells you exactly what's going to happen in the show. What's going to happen is you're going to head off to Dublin Airport now, Mm -hmm. straight after recording this. I can see you've got your toothbrush in front of you there, your spare T-shirt and your passport, so you're pretty much set. Yeah, I got it. Got my case. Got my. Um, I don't actually have a carry-on, <laughs> just a case and a shoulder bag. You didn't go by Grant Wall's advice that we talked about last week. No, because I mean, what am I going to do? You know, I, I just mean I'd be I'd be hauling around a case and a small carry-on and a bag uh, to uh, several World Cup venues. I mean, it's, it's, it's impractical alone. You look excited though, Ken. What's your first port port of call? Sao Paulo. <sighs> So, uh, Sao Paulo for the, f- and then I'll be there for the first game, the Brazil Croatia game, mm-hmm. and then Manaus for the England Italy game. Great. So, uh, That's yeah, a pretty good start. Yeah, and then the Germany Portugal. Do you want to hear this whole thing? I certainly want to hear what you're most excited about. Which game you're most excited about in the opening stages? Well, actually, probably the Brazil games. To be honest, I want to see. I'm going to the Brazil games against Croatia and Mexico, and they're the, they're probably the ones I'm most. Germany Portugal might be a good game too. Although I'm hoping Ronaldo. Well, I'm sure Ronaldo's going to make it. Whether he's fit, I'm not sure. He doesn't seem to be fully fit at the moment. Uh, so hopefully he is. But Germany against uh, Portugal, I think, would be is, is a high-quality, potential high-quality game. Manaus did get some bad press. From who? What, Roy Hodgson. Did well, Roy, yeah. In advance of the tournament. Is it meant to be an okay place to visit? Well, we don't want to end up there, I think, was Roy Hodgson's verdict <laughs> <laughs> pre-the draw, which sent England there. Um, is it an okay place to visit? I mean, you know, I mean, it's... It depends on on what you are looking for from a place. I mean, I think if you're looking for a fresh sea breeze, uh, cool cool temperatures, 
then probably it's not the place. It's not the place for you. We're talking about a, a city, you know, built on the Amazon River in the in the middle of uh, the biggest jungle in the world. Uh, it gets a little bit steamy and sticky there. But otherwise, is it a, is it a good place? It's a fine place. We're going to work you to the bone over in Brazil, Ken, because we've got some great news for everybody. On top of our usual four programs a week, two on Mondays, two on Thursdays, we're going to hit you with extra World Cup shows on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So that'll be World Cup-related programs every day from Monday to Thursday, plus a couple of couple of second captains classics. It's going to be amazing, Ken. Six shows. In total. If the internet can handle it, we're going to bring you to six shows in total. Yeah, no, I, hopefully the internet will be able to handle mm. it. I'm quite jealous of you heading over, but sometimes I think TV is even better than being there, as in the case of ITV's coverage of England-Honduras on Saturday night. <laughs> you were watching this? Oh, my God. Well, I, I thought I was going to miss uh, a bit of the game, you know. Uh, I turned it over a bit late, I th- expecting to watch the second half, and instead saw Adrian Childs standing there with uh, Hoddle, Dixon, and Wright looking really sweaty and flustered. Well, they were in the tunnel. They'd been taken down to the tunnel for their own safety because a thunderstorm and some oh, did lightning. They, did they, they had a kind of a booth. Oh, I, they had originally At the end, the booth, were yeah. they not on the, uh, on the touchline? Oh, they were just getting moved all over the place just to avoid the sheet lightning that was... Yeah, um, and they were, they were desperately trying to fill time. And they had Gabriel Clark, for instance, talking to the referee. Um, and he was like, I saw you in the radar room. Describe what you were doing in there. And the referee said, well, we were just looking at the radar... And uh, just to make sure that the weather was all, all done. That was their second interview with the referee during the break. <laughs> Adrian Childs had grabbed them, manhandled them earlier on to get an interview with them, which lasted quite a long time. They also had Hodgson in there. Hodgson oh. in his shorts, being lectured by Glenn Hoddle on tactics. You look quite comfortable with that. Oh, I'd say he was delighted. And the best interview was with this man who they identified as... It honestly looked as though Hodgson... I'm sure there were producers and researchers and there were, I'm sure there were a million people there, but it looked literally as though Adrian Childs was just going around grabbing people who he saw... This guy, this guy, hang on, well, this guy was definitely the stadium manager. I think that's what Adrian Charles Adrian said. Adrian Charles said, this is a man who knows what's going on. He's a stadium manager. And a very stern American man replied, I am not the stadium manager. I am the operation for soccer uh, in the stadium. Uh, operation manager for soccer in the stadium. Yeah. And Adrian Charles said, okay, well, okay well, what's well, going on? And then he replied, we have here what we call a thunderstorm. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah, some pretty surreal TV. But Adrian Childs, he's not everyone's cup of tea, but his ability to talk a lot mm. came in really handy. In Sometimes. Those things. I th- 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 thought he did really well. And I really was very disappointed when the game came back on because I wanted to watch it for another couple of hours. Richie Sadler has joined us to help say farewell to Ken. Richie, thanks for calling in. How are you, lads? You well? Good. We're pretty good. We're pretty good. We're going to be seeing plenty of you on RTE TV in the next few weeks. Are you excited? Yeah, I can't wait for it. Um, I, I did some work on the 2010 World Cup with RTE. I was kind of mainly doing the highlight shows back then. But um, World tournaments are brilliant. Like even the Confederations Cup last year, you just really get... You, you, you're watching every minute of every game because you kind of have to. Even the matches you're not watch, you're not working on live, you have to obviously know what's going on to be able to refer to them. And then doing some of the highlight shows as well. And um, but then even like this is going to be a completely different tournament in terms of all the information we're going to get because every day on Twitter there'll be updates from training camps and there's press conferences and it's all the off the field stuff in Brazil as well. So like every minute of the next month is going to be newsworthy stuff. So it's essentially what you described there is what everybody, every other football fan in the country will be doing. Yeah. But you're actually, this is a job. Yeah, <laughs> and I love it. It's going to be, it'd be brilliant. Like it's, 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 uh, it's just fun again because there's a novelty factor in it because we're watching some players and some teams that I wouldn't watch 
from one end of the year to the next, the, the countries that you wouldn't generally see play. So there's all that side of it as well. Are you an Italia 90 child or I don't want to pry, Richie, but are you old enough to remember Mexico 86? I wasn't aware Mexico 86 was happening. Um, I was seven at the time. I Italy 90 was the first World Cup I watched. The, the, the first match was at the San Siro, Cameroon and Argentina. Yep. That was the first World Cup match I watched. Yep. And just... <laughs> I just remember that month just being magic. Like I was, what it would have been, 11. Just the whole thing. And obviously Ireland were in it, got to the quarterfinal. So that was my perception of, you know, that's what happens in a World Cup. <laughs> Ireland are in it, the country goes bonkers, we get to a quarterfinal and it's great. Um, doesn't happen like that no. often. <laughs> but it was brilliant. It was mad. Like it, it's probably the, the, like, you think back in your childhood years, that was the happiest summer I think you ever had. Yeah. Because of that tournament. Yeah, I think so. Do you remember Mexico 86? Uh, no, not really. You I'm, must do. No, not not really. Uh, I remember the. Uh, sorry, what what age are you? Just sorry, I, same age as you. Oh, really? About uh, about ten days younger than you, Richard. Actually, so you are we, go, are, we going, are, are we going to reveal these ages or for our listeners? Thirty five. Thirty five. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so you'd have been, yeah, uh, eight. I wasn't watching much Mexico 86, though. Maybe it's just because Ireland weren't in it. The only thing I remember, I remember a friend's dad had a van with a bumper sticker on the back, which was the uh, the mascot. Do you remember the mascot? It was like a jalapeno yeah. with the sombrero on top. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Uh, I can't remember his I name. I can't remember his name. He was a chili pepper, though. Like, this was a sombrero, yeah. Chili pepper. I remember watching that. That jalapeno that's, uh, that's uh, what you call it game, Cameroon Argentina game with my uh, priest uncle who had just recently come back from Angola and was supporting Cameroon against Argentina. Obviously, I was supporting Argentina. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know who Cameroon were, uh, and confidently proclaimed <laughs> that Argentina would win quite easily and didn't work out the way. Yeah, well, a lot of us loved Maradona at the time. I, this actually brings us to the question of the status of the World Cup because so much of Mar- what Maradona means to people is based on what he had done in 1986. Even if none of us can quite remember it, we still see it uh, to this day. And In fact, I was watching the official FIFA movie of the 1986 World Cup again just the other night. I know this question's been asked a lot, Richie, but I'm interested in your thought on it, whether or not Leo Messi needs to win or at least star in the World Cup to play the way he has done for his club in order to be up there with Maradona and maybe Pele is the greatest ever. I think it it probably matters more to the people of Argentina. I mean, they probably have Maradona on a pedestal that Messi won't ever reach until he does something similar. Um, until he excels in a World Cup that Argentina win. And, and maybe you can understand that, but I, I really genuinely don't think... Yeah, yeah, like Messi has to do anything else. Because, you know, he hasn't had a good six months or a good year, a good couple of years. Like, he's been excelling for years. He's won numerous... Ballon d'Ors, I don't know how many La Ligas, three Champions Leagues, and he's been the best player in all of those competitions. So I don't know what else he has to do to demonstrate his greatness or, or to demonstrate that he has ability as good as... if it's, it's very hard to judge people or compare people from different eras who are in different positions, who are playing in teams to play in different styles. And, and so I find that difficult um, to do, but... I, I don't know what else Messi has to do to, to impress people. I don't know why you would sit there and go, well, Messi, for me, needs to have a good six games in the next month, seven games, whatever it is, and Argentina have to win it. Yeah, for me to put... just an iconic status attached to World Cup glory. That there's it's a status. It's the fact but then, that it only happens every four years. It's the fact that you have to do it at that time. You have to... You can't just say, oh, you know, I'm just not informed. 
I just it, it just didn't happen for me at this this particular time. It's because it's the only chance that you get that you have to deliver, and that's. But he has to deliver in every match. Like he's the star attraction in every match he's played for years, and every match he's played for years is a big game by virtue of the fact that Barcelona are involved, and by the fact that they go for every trophy and every competition they're in. Mm. So it's not like he has to demonstrate big game mentality or or the wherewithal to perform when the pressure's on. That the pressure's never not on him. He's never not the focus. Like at every every match I've ever worked on that Messi's been playing in, the conversation's always beforehand. It's like, are, are we going to talk about this fella or are we just go elsewhere? And the conversation always goes back to him. <laughs> yeah. like, so it's not like he has to demonstrate something that, like that, he, that he can't cope with the pressure or he can't deliver when it's demanded. But uh, yeah, I guess what, what you can... You think he does? I think he does. Uh, but, I, but I also don't think he'll ever be... I don't think he's, he'll ever have the status of Maradona. Because, I mean, watch that FIFA movie if you want to see why. Uh, the FIFA movie of the 1986 World Cup, Hero. Oh, the one I referenced there. Yeah, yeah. it's incredible. Um, uh, lovely, amazing 1980s music. Great yeah. lingering shots of Maradona. Spe- like a specially composed score. Yeah, which, by, by uh, Wakeman. Yeah, at times, at times strays into the ridiculous. But for Maradona, Owen, um, he, he pulled out some of his best work. Uh, but what you got, what you've got in this movie is a lot of. Uh, I mean, the FIFA made official movies of all the World Cups, and actually, in recent years, they've become more similar to each other, so you can barely tell the difference between one and the next. But this this one is pretty good, and a lot of it is just Maradona, like just close up footage of Maradona. You don't even see his teammates; you just see him sort of, um, you know, tussling for the ball or dribbling past people. But what you also see is his face. And okay, so there's a moment when uh, when he scores a goal. Which is disallowed. Do you, do you remember the moment I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, it's at the end of the World Cup final, isn't it? Uh, no, he. That's. I think he goes down and tries to win a penalty. Oh, he sorry. Sort of dives, yeah, or, yeah, has okay, a bit okay. of a dive and doesn't get the penalty. And he's like, oh no! And then he's kind of grinning. And yeah, but <laughs> the the thing about Maradona is he's so expressive at every moment, at every literally every moment of the game, and whatever is happening seems to be the most important thing in the world. And that goal, for instance, which is in the group stage, it's going to be two 0 I think, to Argentina. He scores goals, disallowed, and it's honestly like. Like he's just been sent to prison, you know, for twenty years. The look, oh no, no, he's practically crying, you know, as he's sort of wagging his finger, no, 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 and uh, and that's that, that's the reason. That's a big part of the reason why he's such a star. You can imagine the same thing happened to Lionel Messi, and it's just this impassive face, you know, and he doesn't react to he doesn't react to that sort of stuff. He kind of gets up and walks back, and it's he's just he's just a little bit quieter, a little bit more reserved. He doesn't have that ability to express the whole emotion of the crowd. Which Maradona was like a, a star who kind of channeled which is the part of the, Yeah, and that's part of the reason, sorry to cut across again, as Richie says, I think that is part of the reason why he's loved in Argentina so much. It's the sense that uh, I visited Buenos Aires a couple of years ago and you do kind of get that idea that they love him for his personality as much yeah. as they love And the fact that he played a lot of football in Argentina mm. before he actually went over. So I think, that, like, yeah, there's probably a connection between the Argentinian public and Maradona that may never be there sense, yeah. between between them and, and Messi. But if, if you bring it back just to footballing ability, so remove things like his status or how fondly he's thought of by, by Argentinians. I mean, you can understand completely why, like, and imagine it's the sporting highlight of your life, maybe just the highlight of your life, to see your country win a World Cup if you're a football fan. And for one person to be so central to that, you'll understand, right, well, he's forever going to be in my heart. But if you remove all that and compare the two on footballing ability, like, do you think Messi still has anything to prove? And he doesn't no. have anything to prove. Uh, but it, but the, if the, he if the question is what, who's the greatest yeah. of all time? Then, then Pele is sitting there quite smugly yeah. going, well, how many World Cups have I've actually won three World Cups? 
Mm. I kind of dominated World Cup at the age of 17. Then I did it again when I was 21. And then I did it again when everyone thought I was past it, just to prove a point. And, and Messi sitting there going, well, you know, I got a lot of nice passes from Xavi and scored goals against teams whose entire budget was less than my annual salary. So, I mean, people were looking at that and going, well, you know, when Messi was scoring all those goals in the Spanish League, I mean, you look back through history, no one had really done it before, but maybe... Maybe it says something also about the league, you know. Whereas if Messi was able to turn around and say, well, also, you know, if, if, if you look, I won the World Cup, then... I mean, I'm not, I'm not imagining there's ever, ever going to be a discussion between Pele and, and Messi. If they're going <laughs> to, like, uh, I don't know, appear on television together and have this debate, like, it's unlikely to happen. But, you know, if, if he haven't... I mean, the, 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 in a way, the fact that he played for such, he's played for such a good team, but he's only played for that team. Uh, it's not as though he's shown that he also has this capacity to come and play with other guys who he hasn't usually been in a team with and turn them into a winning team as well, which Pele Maradona both did. Yeah, but the, uh, in those Brazil teams, like how how would you rate his teammates? Very, very four or five of the best players in the world. Yeah. Right. Okay. So now we're into a, a thing now. Like a, a tournament is won on. I know, like the history and and the way 1986 is told to people who didn't watch it, you get the impression that there was only one player in the Argentinian team. You mentioned it there; half of that film was focused on him. Now, you're reliant completely on your teammates to win a tournament. So, while Pele may have won his World Cups, well, he did win his World Cups, and Argentina did as well. Like he, he, or Maradona did as well. Like he wasn't surrounded by duds. Do you know what I mean? So. Maradona was probably surrounded by more duds than I think Pele was. Uh, Ozzy Ardiles, who you'll probably be on mm. TV with over the next few weeks, had a conversation with him last week, and I got the sense that he feels that there's a certain amount of there's a certain amount of self publicization or, or self marketing about Maradona, and people, as you say, forget that Jairzinho, for example, scored a goal in every game in that World Cup, and guys like Garincha, a lot of Brazilians would feel were better than Pele. But this I, I, is the, this is the issue with with comparisons. You automatically sound like you're denigrating one player yeah. by pumping another player up, which it, isn't the case. These guys are all absolutely I do, incredible. I do think it makes a huge difference. I mean, think about it. Uh, say, for instance, Cristiano Ronaldo scores for Portugal in every game of the World Cup, and Portugal win the World Cup, right? Does Cristiano Ronaldo is Cristiano Ronaldo suddenly now kind of going? Well, actually, you know what? I'm the best player there's ever been. I really am the greatest of all time. I mean, I I, I can say that now. You know, I've, uh, I've scored more goals than anyone, you know. I've, well, not than anyone, but, you know, I've, uh, who else has been doing a scoring a goal a game for, like, five years? I've won the Champions League with two different teams. I've just won the World Cup with Portugal, thanks to my goals. I'm the greatest. Mm-hmm. Who would be able to argue with that? It would be like, well, he is, you know. We only have to move over, make space on the throne for Cristiano because he's, he's proved that. Without, I mean, and that's the only way. It's the, actually the only way he can do it. Um and even if even if he doesn't win it, I still think he needs to sort of play well in it because you know, okay, Ronaldo and Messi are clearly by far the best players in the world for the last five years. It's like it's almost the Federer Nadal style mm. dominance that they have, um, and maybe it's unfair. But the fact is that when you, the standard is so high, you just get judged against the highest possible standard. And if if uh, you know at the, at the highest possible standard or the or the biggest competition in terms of the number of people that are watching it, which makes it the biggest competition. If you haven't performed in that, then how can you say that you're the, you're the best? There was a day, Richie, well, it's probably about 
10 years ago now, around year 2004, where we thought Wayne Rooney would be mm. in this kind of conversation at this stage. You wrote in your Sunday Independent column this weekend with regards to the idea that Rooney could even be in the same category as Messi and Ronaldo. You say he's nowhere near players well below them, which is a bit of a, a cutting remark. Is that what you genuinely feel? Clearly nobody thinks he's up there, but does he go into this World Cup as a player who shouldn't even be considered among the best in the world? I suppose carrying on from the conversation we've just had, if you are to be considered in a category, you have to point to performances. Now, give me international performances that Rooney have, with the exception of what he did 10 years ago as a 17-year-old, whatever he was in 2004. What's he done on the international stage since? He's their highest ever scorer in qualifying for World Cups. Right, give me performances. Like dominating, when I think of a great play, like dominating games, like absolutely making fools out of defenders, completely turning results and doing it consistently for a long time and giving the kind of displays that you talk about for years. Like recall the performances now in your mind, the standout ones where you can think of, Jesus, do you remember that night we watched Rooney? They all come from your 2004. Yeah. Yeah. So the the standout goals, whatever whatever it is you class as greatness, give me the, the, the standout memories you have of Rooney on the international stage with England. I can't think of many. Mm. Like, I don't think qualifying games against relatively mediocre opposition really count. Though I can't even think of many phenomenal performances given at that level. Um, I don't think he belongs. I think obviously we're Premier League fans, so you see him every week. You're, you were subjected to the hype and all the rest of it. But, but if you actually judge the standard of his performances recently... Like he's nowhere, he's not even in the same conversation as Ronaldo it's, it's and Messi. True, I mean, even look, people like Aguero, who like we're not even talking about. Like, would you want Aguero or Rooney in your team? Like, I don't think it's a question. Look, Carlos Tevez, who actually couldn't even get into the exactly. Argentinian squad, a lot of people might consider would be more valuable than Rooney. Yeah. Exactly. Like yeah. he's he's, he's when you look like back at his, his goals, you know maybe that's the reason we can't remember. I'm just looking at his international goals here: Kazakhstan, two goals against Kazakhstan, two against Belarus, two against Slovakia, another against Kazakhstan, two against Andorra. I'm not saying he only scores against bad teams. You know, two against Bulgaria, two against San Marino. Yeah, I'm never sure about that argument. People make this argument Ukraine, about Robbie Keane. Poland. They're not, they're, but they're clearly not. You know, two against Montenegro, another against Poland. They're not big matches. You know what I mean? They're, they're never going to be. Even if, even though they're the kind of matches you have to win. You know, England against Bulgaria is not a match that any English person is going to be able to remember once they walk out of the stadium. You know, and. Uh, it's a long time. I suppose the Croatia, the 5-1 against Croatia, was a big performance. Um, and I, I don't think he scored in the... Did he score in the away game? No, he did score in the away game. 4-1 away to Croatia. That was another big That was another big win for England. That was in 2008. Okay, but Wayne Rooney gets into the team. Or let's just assume he's going to be picked. I don't think he'd be starting all these friendlies and working his way to full fitness if Hodgson wasn't going to rely on him. He scores in the opening game. He has another good game, then he scores another one, then they're into the second round, and then suddenly they're on a bit of a roll and he has a really good tournament. At that stage, it seems like, Richie, you're, you're dubious about the whole idea that anybody's reputation can be changed greatly by one tournament. But if Rooney was to put in a shift at this World Cup, certainly in the mind of England fans, I would imagine he'd be a lot of his previous major tournament performances might be forgiven. Well, they'll be forgotten because England would be high on, on the fact that they've done well and he's done well, but... I, I do understand the point. Like, you can't dismiss what a person does on a stage as great as this. Like, when the world is watching, everyone's watching, there's huge pressure. If someone goes out and have a really good tournament, you know, hats off, you've got to give them a huge amount of credit. 
But on the back of years and years and years of relative mediocrity, I don't think an overnight turn, turn Rooney from being, you know, maybe a, a, a kind of third tier type striker to being right. Let's you know, let's talk about this fella as among the greats. Remember the tournament he had in Brazil. Like I said, well, no, hang on. There's a body of work there for 10, 12 years we can look upon. Like with Messi, like with Ronaldo. It's, we, I don't think it should all hinge on what happens in the next seven games. Body of them. work that might have him as Manchester United's all-time leading goal scorer. And, uh, England's one of them. Possibly all-time, England's all-time, all-time leading paid player. <laughs> goal scorer. Yeah. I mean, it is, it, it is amazing when you, when you think about this kind of discussion that's happening about Rooney that a few months ago he signed the biggest contract in yeah. the history of English football. And people are talking about him. What should he be in the England team? You know, you can see it clearly a few of the pundits. Although the pundits say on ITV are clearly reluctant to really, you know, say Rooney should go. Uh, so I can't remember if if all of them put Rooney in their in their, their teams because this is one of the things they had to to fill up with the thunderstorm break. It's like, oh, well, what about your England team, Lee? And uh, I can't remember if everyone picked Rooney, but there is clearly this sort of discussion going on about him. Um, which shouldn't be happening because of his status in the English game is he's the best English player. That's confirmed by his contract. The way that you measure these things, he's clearly the, the best. Um, but, I, I mean, the thing that they were all talking about was, uh, I mean, obviously Barkley is, is, has been really impressive. Uh, there's Sterling, who hasn't, but people think is, is good. And they're all young players. And so the pundits always start talking about this thing, the fearlessness of youth, which is invoked also when describing Rooney in Portugal uh, 10 years ago. Yeah. Is that uh, is that really a thing, Richie? I mean, when I think about the fearlessness of youth, I think about what most actual youths are like, and you're talking about uh, knock-kneed, sort of, um, you know, white with fear, Adam's apple, a quiver. I mean, most 17 or 18-year-olds actually wouldn't have the confidence to go and play in a game like that and, and dominate it. The vast, vast majority wouldn't. I'd agree with that, but they're not the ones you see. You, you kind of, and obviously, you think of people like Mike alone or uh, Robbie Keane was. You just at the at the youngest of ages, they just look like they belong there and they excel. But but it's not because they're young. It's not because they're young. It's that because they had a mentality or a, a just a, a confidence or whatever ability just to ignore self doubt or just not to have it. Um, and I don't think that's particularly because they were seventeen or eighteen. That's just in their makeup. Most kids mo- and their kids, like seventeen or eighteen year olds. Would, would, would horrified by the thought of having their nation's hopes on their shoulders and the notion that simply by being 17 or 18 you've no awareness of the consequences of failure or you're just really you know, bring it on I don't care if I fail I'm young I have no concept of what it'd be like to have a bad day that's nonsense like some lads are, are, are brilliant and and, 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 are on, and huge amount of expectation they can carry it really easily on their shoulders but that's because of them not because they're young it's wrong to simply equate youth with certain traits like fearlessness. I think maybe the reason that, that uh, it's, it does get referred to is that often these players seem to lose it uh, as they get a bit older. You know, that's the kind of invincibility that they appear to strut around believing they possess. They no longer, they figure out that they don't really have it. I sometimes feel that they, if you take Rooney as an example, it doesn't look, it looks to me like he just, stopped enjoying it at some point. This has been said about him quite a lot. You talk about him in year 2004, it seems... And Ross Barkley is now seen as the new Rooney, a guy who I think still gets the bus to training and still plays five-a-side with his mates in the street. All those kind of things are great, but they're the things that get lost over the years. And maybe it's a bit more of a chore to a guy like Rooney now. Than I think that... I th- 
particularly with younger lads, there's a, there's a honeymoon period, particularly with the media and the public and the supporters, because you're 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 new, and people assume, well, right, well, this fella's going to continue at this rate, and everyone's positive, everyone's supportive, and then eventually you're going to have a bad game, you're going to have a dip, and then you might start get a bit more cynical about the media, or you, your eyes might be a little bit more open to supporters you know it's not actually unconditional support here I've got to perform it's absolutely conditional it's absolutely conditional they're not supporting me they're supporting good performances by me so you start to question the whole nature of support then and then and then it becomes a bit of a pain in the ass then for doing press conferences because you know there's people in the room who have written crappy things about you or they're looking for an angle or you've read what they said last week and they're saying you know I shouldn't be in the team and you go you know I have to deal with these these people and that becomes a chore and you can understand why you get a bit weary of it all and look like you're enjoying it less because all the stuff around football becomes very different from what it was when you first started because when you first started, the whole world was welcoming you Cause, and you were smiling, you were young, you were fearless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, I mean, it's like with Messi, you know, everyone's oh, look at Messi, he's just, his innocent love of the game, he just loves it all. And now they're like, oh, Messi, sour. So Actually, Messi's facial expression has not changed. It's just exactly the same face, but now, I don't know, he's just... Uh, He's just seen as being a little bit more of a Captain Intenso. What about the importance of having happy campers in your team? This is something I think Yogi Love mentioned again. You, you brought this to us last week. Yeah, he did. Um, what were his words? Uh, okay, this is the list of qualities he wanted. Uh, well, he was saying, which players uh, can promote competition and stand up to competition? Which players are tolerant of frustration when they don't play? players maybe are too egotistical because we're on the road with a large group for several weeks. And then he goes, respect, tolerance, discipline, reliability, integrity, humility, and ability to concentrate. And when he says ability to concentrate, I think he actually means ability to be in what in Spanish might be called la concentración, the... the uh, uh, Camp, I guess, where the players all get together and um, and and are waiting for the for the World Cup. So, uh, so, so it seems to me that he's talking mainly there about a list of uh, sort of pro-social uh, attributes, you know, rather than the kind of things you might usually associate with a, a footballer who might have a chance of winning the World Cup. You know, like being really uh, good at football. You know, not they're all good players, but uh, he's not kind of talking about any of the macho attributes of you know the the kingpin German footballer like Lothar Mateus or any of those guys. Yeah, I think he's talking about the avoidance of like, or the removal of disruptive figures. The idea being that it can throw a preparation or seriously disrupt what's going on in the hotel. Um, all those traits, I mean, it sounds like a wonderful group. If, if they have <laughs> Perfect, all... If, 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 there's, if there is no egos, there is no personal professional rivalry, if there's no upset people... With, with the idea that they'll lose or play badly or not be in the team. Yeah. I, I'd be more worried if that was the case. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't think of a single group like that in all of recorded history. In all of the world. <laughs> who have all of those things in abundance. I mean, it's a great idea. And it's like, again, if you have all... It, it, you're buying into the, 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 the idea of the group, that the group is more important and that you as an individual are there just to serve the coach or the country or the group or whatever way you want to phrase it. So you remove personal ambition for the greater good. Um, I don't think there's any harm in having a shed load of personal ambition and be driven, whether it's your ego or for, for whatever personal reasons, but it's not a bad thing. It ties into what we hear about the English team, that they, I don't, in fairness to them, I think they do manage to park the egos to a certain extent, but you do hear that they don't 
necessarily find the tournament setting particularly easy. They get bored quite easily. And that's what one of the things that ultimately stops them from being successful. Do British footballers, do Irish footballers almost by extension, suffer more with boredom than other teams at these major tournaments? They, they may do. But I, I, I really find it hard to take anyone seriously if they link boredom to why they played badly or why they lost the game or why they left the tournament. Um, like a tournament setting, like you generally, obviously, if you're not the host country, you're away from your family, maybe you're in a hotel, probably a five-star hotel, you're training every day and you're playing your e- spending your evenings, probably like the rest of us, you're watching the World Cup. That's not that boring. Um, like the, the, a daily life for a footballer doesn't wander massively from that anyway. You've got to train every day when you're at home. And, and, and your afternoons and evenings generally aren't spent out doing things, which sometimes they are. But the, the, in the main, they're not spent doing things which are wildly exciting. I'd imagine you'll spend your time in a hotel doing the same things you would have done at home. Mm. Um, you're surrounded by teammates. Like if, you, if, if, if that lifestyle is something that you can't deal with, then you're not tournament fit. So in your experience playing, say, underage international tournaments, everyone finishes up, watches the football, goes to bed? <laughs> I, that one, I had a couple of experience of international tournaments. I think in, in Iceland, we'd under-18 European Championships finals. But we had the under-20 World Cup finals in Nigeria, and we were on the road for about four weeks. And Nigeria back then, we had no mobiles. We had, there was a television, I, I don't know if there was an English-speaking channel on it, but there was nothing worth watching. Um, there was no laptops, no internet, no Facebook, Twitter, none of that back then. And to ring home, you had to queue up for ages with a big wad of cash. You took ages to get a connection and you had to wrap up your call fairly quickly. And because of security reasons and being white in an all-black country, you couldn't leave because you were just a target. That's what we were told. So we were confined to a hotel with nothing to do. And boredom did set in. Now, but like we were all excited about the matches and it didn't impact our performances at all. But there was fairly... <laughs> after a while you get to week three and week four and you have to come up with more creative ways of entertaining yourselves at the start and there was a couple of golf putters there so we just put like a, a Ribena bottle like 30 yards away from each other on a corridor and just put a ball up and down all day long For trying hours. to hit a Ribena bottle like mind numbing stuff but there was one afternoon where there was seven of us in a bedroom I'm not going to name any names right and there was a suggestion by someone I don't know how to phrase this but when we have a competition where, how do I phrase it, we pleasure ourselves and, and, and the fella who can, who, can, who can maybe complete the job first is the winner. <laughs> so we all reacted the way you're reacting now. We all laughed and said, well, this fella's nuts. This can't. We were trying to work it out. Oh, my God, he's actually suggesting what, 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 what we think he is. Myself, and, and I swear to God, this, myself and another fella left because it, it, it appeared as if right, this is actually going to happen. And it did. Five lads um, competed with one another. Yeah. You look for things to lighten the mood. Brings a lot of happiness for it, yeah. Um, I, mean, I, I worry that maybe now they spend too much time playing video games to, to have this kind of team bonding. Uh, but you read Pirlo's book. Like, he spent a lot of time in PlayStation with yeah. his roommates. Like, that's, you can spend hours doing that. Like, that's not boring for someone who, who's into that. Yeah, I just, I just, I'm sorry. Am I the only one who's still stuck in that last story? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that, I don't know if what impact that would have on the public's perception of young professional footballers. Maybe if this the, is the kind of maybe the crack public, that goes on. Maybe the public have been naive. 
the official mascot to take this back to the start of the conversation of this World Cup or of the 1986 World Cup was called PK Ken. A jalapeno pepper, so I was oh, correct. Yeah. Characteristic of Mexican cuisine with a mustache, a columite sombrero, and Mexican football team colours. Its name comes from picante, Spanish for spicy peppers and sauces. <laughs> this year's mascot is an atrocious looking thing called Fuleco. It's, he's an armadillo. Yeah, a Brazilian three-banded armadillo, Ken, wearing a white t-shirt reading Brazil 2014. The Brazilian three-banded armadillo is found only in Brazil and is classified as a vulnerable species. Oh, that's kind of nice. And the selection of Fuleco brings attention to Brazil's great biodiversity. The name Fuleco is a portmanteau. A portmanteau, yeah. portmanteau of the words football and ecologia. Football <laughs> and ecology. <laughs> Interesting fact for you there, Ken. Yeah. Richie, last question. Who's going to win the World Cup? Argentina. Thanks, Richie, and enjoy the <laughs> tournament. Cheers, lads. Best of luck. Hairdryer is, is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by various blasts of temper. The hairdryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hairdryer, I think, at David Beckham. I was that he threw a hairdryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. That entire FIFA 1986 movie is on YouTube, by the way. So we recommend if you have a bit of time online today or between now and the start of the World Cup to have a look at it. A reminder, we're going to be bringing you World Cup shows every day, Monday to Thursday, during the duration of the tournament. And we're going to introduce a new slot. In fact, why not introduce it right now as we gaze into... Ken Early's World Cup Crystal Ball. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been trying to look into the future here to see, uh, because I guess people are interested in the future, what's going to happen in it. And there hasn't been a reliable way of, of saying what is going to happen until now. Um, what do you see exactly? I see a statuette of gold. I see uh, I see it being held aloft in a, in a Brazilian stadium, like, you know, uh, by a victorious captain. He was wearing a shirt the same color as the statue, Owen. So uh, I see a man in black, uh, or possibly I don't know, indigo, uh, or not yellow anyway. In this in this final, rising in the last minute of extra time to punch the winning goal home from a corner kick, uh, and then to look around abashed, for he Owen is the referee. It's the first time a referee has ever scored the winning goal in the World Cup final. But FIFA really need Brazil to win this one. Uh, FIFA need Brazil to win that World Cup 2014 and send a lot of good vibes out around the world, around, around the cities of Brazil and, and around the world. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a referee score a goal in this tournament. And I wouldn't be surprised, well, I would be surprised if he scores a goal for any team other than Brazil. Ken Early's World Cup Crystal Ball. Where did you buy that crystal ball, Ken? Because I've got to be honest, you might need to return it. It sounds a little bit, it's a little bit dodgy there. It sounds like as though I might have... Uh, Small little, uh, it might have been a bit of a two euro shop. Well, why don't we just wait and see what happens, though? We are now joined, I'm delighted to say, by the BBC's Tim Vickery in Rio. Tim, you said in your column over the weekend that we are getting to the time that the Jaguar drinks water. What does that mean? Um, it, it took me a long time to find out. Uh, it means... This is this is business time. This is and the 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 meaning of this this expression. It's an expression that old timers use in Brazilian football 
um, unfortunately, the generation who use that expression are kind of dying off and leaving the scene now. But the time when the Jaguar goes to drink water, who else has the courage to quench their thirst? So let's see who is who. And it starts on June the 12th. By July the 13th, we'll know exactly who is who. Uh, Tim, we were talking during the week with someone else who was agreeing with Owen's view that Spain are the favourites for this tournament. I think that Brazil are the favourites. Please buttress my views. Well, I, I can't see... I mean, obviously, pr- making predictions makes fools of us all. But I can't see beyond a Brazil-Argentina final, really. Uh, and Brazil, yes, it's going to be a huge test of their temperaments. And the World Cup is so cruel. You know, you, it doesn't take a, a bad half or even, you know, just sometimes a, one bad decision or a bad 15, 20 minutes in the game can be enough to ruin the dream. So it's going to be a real test of Brazil's temperaments. But with home advantage and results have been very good over the last year with the wind in their sails. And then Argentina who, all right, they've, got, they've had some bad draws in, in recent World Cups, but Argentina's draw is a dream this time, not just in terms of the opponents, but this is a World Cup where logistics are so important. And Argentina will play the entire tournament without ever playing in the heat of the Northeast, and that makes them so lucky. It means all of their games are relatively close to their own country. They're coming together quite nicely. All right, they do have defensive defects, but they've got a, an accumulation of attacking talent that really is going to cause uh, opposing defences problems. So uh, the logical outcome, I think, is, is, is an Argentina-Brazil final. The draw has been very difficult for the European teams, I think. And Germany will play three games in extreme heat. And even if they qualify for what is a very difficult group, that drains some of their physical capacity. Italy, likewise, three games in extreme heat. You throw on the fact that Italy are travelling a great deal, really because they want to. They've made a, a strange decision in terms of where they're basing themselves. Spain, you do have to wonder if this is a tournament too far for a, for a team which has been very victorious. And history shows, shows us that winning the World Cup is very hard. Retaining it is even harder. Um, you wonder perhaps about, from the European Challenge, wonder a little bit about France. Are France just coming into the just coming into form at the right time but really speaking I think that the, the two South American giants are the favourites and if they win their groups they can only meet in a final I'm interested to hear you so kind of confident Tim about that because I mean there's, there's quite a there was a moment on Irish television during Euro 2012 uh, when the host uh, read out the results of a poll said 87% of you think we're going to beat Croatia and then just started laughing and said I apologise I apologise for my laughter and of course <laughs> that's not how it turned out but it was clear that we were swept along on a, a collective wave of delusion uh, at that time, uh, born mainly out of sort of excitement and optimism. Are you sure there's none of that creeping in with the resilience? There's, no, there's nothing to worry about for for Felipe Scolari? Well, in, in fact, one of the, the problems is that they, they don't seem to be too many problems. You know, you, you look around the other teams and, uh, all right, they're losing star players here and there. They've had injury problems here and there. Brazil's build-up has been, has been pretty much flawless. Uh, and uh, some people are citing this as, as, as a problem, that uh, it might be nice just to have something to go wrong for a little bit of a shake-up. Of course, that could happen on the opening day. I don't expect Croatia to be easy opponents at all. Uh, I'll be, I'm very interested to see on, on Thursday... Croatia's midfield against Brazil. Will there be large passages of play where Croatia have possession of the ball? Uh, and I think that, that it could be an interesting opening test for, for Brazil. I, I imagine that that is going to be the most difficult of their three group games, not only because it, it's, the, it's, it's, it's the, uh, the debut. And debut games 
for a home team in a World Cup are always very nervy affairs. But also, I think, because perhaps Croatia are the most interesting group of opponents. Why do you think they, they are so interesting? Because of, of uh, the, the quality of the midfield. Yeah. And uh, Luka Modric, wonderful, wonderful player. Is he gonna? Is he gonna kind of get be, 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 um, between the lines of Brazil? And because if Brazil, and we saw this once or twice against Serbia, and obviously Serbia uh, on Friday were handpicked to be close in style to Croatia. If Brazil don't stay sufficiently compact. You can play the ball in behind their attacking fullbacks. And uh, so, uh, you know, Luka Modric getting in between the lines, weaving his little spells, that's a chance that, that Croatia will have, I think, just to thread the ball behind Daniel Alves on Brazil's right, Marcelo, especially on Brazil's left. Because with David Luiz next to him, that left side of the Brazil, Brazilian defence can be a little bit reckless. So that, I think, is, is certainly something to, uh, to, to, to look for. Uh, Spain showed us four years ago that you can lose your first game and still win the World Cup. It means that every game is essentially a knockout game from, from then on. Um, be very interesting to see uh, how, how Brazil come through that debut game. Talk to me a little bit about David Luiz, because I have a, I don't know what it is about him, but I just like him. I mean, he's, he's obviously makes a ton of mistakes and all this kind of stuff, but I've seen him play some absolutely brilliant matches. I mean, I think of the, I think for Brazil against um, Spain last year, uh, I don't think they would have won that match if it hadn't been for David Luiz's incredible goal line clearance at one point. Um, for me, he's a defender who can, you know, he's a big game defender. Maybe the exact, exactly the kind of defender you need in the World Cup. Am I, do I overrate this player? No, perhaps not. I mean, I think you and Scolari, you think uh, along the same lines about him. And that moment, with that incredible goal line clearance against Spain. And it did, you're, you're right, change the game because that was 1-1. And uh, instead of which, within within a minute or so, it was 2-0 and effectively game over. And it, it's the moment where he really won over the Brazilian people because you know, he's made his career abroad. Brazilian public didn't really know him. They got to know him more during the Confederations Cup. They saw not only that he's a very talented player, but he's, 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 a, he's a good bloke, I think. He's a son of school teachers, well brought up. He was the first one to talk about the protests that were going on and, and maybe to build a bridge between the team and the terraces in terms of wanting a, a, a better Brazil. An important declaration, I think. And, and Scolari, he, he's really won over Scolari, not only as a player, but also as a man. Scolari has his little group of team captains. He doesn't just rely on one. He'll, he'll have a core of, of four or five experienced players who he'll look to provide leadership. And David Luiz is one of those team captains. So he's a player who, who's become very important for Brazil on the field, but also off the field as a dressing room influence. How is Scolari going to handle the whatever protests we see, all that off the field stuff, Tim, in terms of his players' interaction with it? Because I think Neymar has spoken about it in the past. And as you said, maybe Luiz was the first person to... Uh, start building bridges there between themselves and the supporters. Equally, in a football sense, I'd imagine the manager doesn't want the players to have to tackle those weighty sort of issues. Is he going to put a, a blanket ban on the media asking them those kind of questions? I don't think he really can in the press conferences. Um, and Scolari has been careful with this issue and he stopped giving interviews uh, a few months ago because he, he just became fed up of, of having to field these issues all the time. Um, I think really on the hope of, of, of the authorities for this World Cup 
is, and we're, 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 you're beginning to feel now World Cup climate here. You're beginning to get in. I, I was wandering around Copacabana here in Rio, which is a big tourist area. Uh, and uh, it's absolutely full now of World Cup tourists. And even people whose teams aren't necessarily playing in Rio, but they're, you know, they're Colombians wandering around in their national team shirt, Ecuadorians wandering around draped in the flag. And I think the hope of the authorities is that all of this, it's going to sprinkle its fairy dust all over the land, the magic of the event. And the focus over the next few weeks is going to be on the football and, and, and on, on the magic that, that these events bring, you know, bringing people together from all over the world rather than on, than on the protests. We'll have to see how successful that is. I mean, there, there, there certainly will be protests during the World Cup. How big they are remains a moot point. Whether they can organise beyond the activist core, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, I, I don't think that, that you can really shield the players from, from questions about this in the press conference, but I think the players will have been well coached on, on what areas to avoid uh, because, uh, well, this, it, it's, it's very politically sensitive. You know, this is Brazil appearing in the eyes of the world for negative reasons. Uh, and uh, th that, that gives it a huge political sensitivity here. And you're, you're, you're coming in, Ken, when you, when you fly in there to the northeast. You are coming into fascinating times. Well, we're, we're watching a country almost change its identity in front of our own eyes. Uh, and uh, fr from a journalistic point of view, I think it's a privilege to be here and watch all of this unfold. The one thing, Tim, that, that does strike me, I mean, if you, you talk about the country being portrayed in a negative light to an international audience, the most negative thing that could possibly happen, surely, would be for there to be some kind of crackdown, you know, like a, a kind of a violent police response to whatever demonstrations. Because I don't really think people, people mind demonstrations at all. It's only when the sort of police start cracking heads that... Uh, that the problem arises. Absolutely. And the thing really took off last year, exactly after this situation, when the police were seen to overreact to the demonstration in Sao Paulo. Now, uh, the security forces have received training since then, and the authorities know that this is a problem. They know that they have to be seen to be guaranteeing the right to, 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 to protest in a peaceful manner. Um, but also, they don't want the demonstrations to interfere with the smooth running of, of, of the World Cup. Now, it didn't with the Confederations Cup last year. The, the, uh, the, the tournament managed to go ahead as, as planned, despite mass protests. Um, the extra tasks this time come from the fact that it's not just the stadiums. There's also fan fests. Uh, and, uh, you know, 32 visiting delegations and many, many more visiting fans. And the Confederations Cup, something like, I think, 97% of tickets were sold to Brazilians. The World Cup is on a totally, totally different scale. So the, the, the resources of the security services are going to be really stretched over, over, over the next few weeks. Uh, and uh, the worry, I think, in terms of that kind of police overreaction and cracking heads is that these days there's just nowhere to hide you know it's not just the fact that you've got the foreign media here in mass you know you you have millions of people wandering around with mobile phones that that uh, that, that, that can film the, the, these events so if it happens if there are if there is police brutality and overreaction the world will find out about it and that could um, f throw uh, further fuel on flames of popular dissatisfaction. Absolutely amazing times, as you say, Tim. Listen, um, we're all looking forward to it and we appreciate you taking the call today. We'll chat to you soon. My pleasure. Thank you. There was another great little nugget in Tim's piece, aside from the Jaguar quote, which I loved, Ken. Mm. Tell us about this. Well, there's a lot of stuff in there. Actually, <laughs> It's a piece about sort of the vocabulary of, uh, 
of Brazilian football. He's got all these little Portuguese phrases. Um, but he mentions that the... Uh, I mean, he's talking about uh, radio reporters uh, in Brazil having made up a lot of these... Uh, ha- having invented a lot of these kind of phrases which have now become kind of sayings. But uh, he says it's a pity that the one they're best known for all around the world is those prolonged yells of goal. This, though, has a practical explanation. It is more than a mere demonstration of passion. In many of the traditional Brazilian stadiums, the stands are a long way from the pitch, creating problems for the commentator. While he is yelling, this gives time for him or one of his team to identify the score. Typically crafty piece of Brazilian. That is very crafty. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Impressive, too. Sometimes, you know, from, you know as, you, <laughs> as you're sort of craning your head, eyes bulging out of your uh, face as you uh, empty your... The last uh, drops of air from your lungs. Just a final reminder, we're going to be hitting you up with World Cup shows Monday to Thursday from next week. Ken's going to be working hard over there on top of our usual shows on Mondays and Thursdays. So that'll be six in total. We'll be forever in your ears <laughs> over the next few weeks. <laughs> Before all that, we've another program to bring you later today with reaction to the rest of the weekend sports. So have a listen to that on iTunes, SoundCloud, the Podcast Republic app if, you're, uh, if you have an Android and you can have a listen to some of the other shows, uh, the other Irish Times shows on irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Ken, the next time we talk to you will be from Sao Paulo. And I must say, I'm quite impressed with your, your get up there. You've got your Bermuda shorts on already. Your Poe Buddies Nerfect t-shirt. Very yeah. close, but have a novelty t-shirt, you know, my feelings on that particular topic. Uh, you're yeah. pretty much ready for the Brazilian beaches at this point. Yeah, although, I mean, am I dressed appropriately? Is this is this the, the right... I mean, apparently it's not even that, that hot in Sao Paulo. Ah, it is. And yeah. there's no beach there, I don't think. There isn't any... There, there isn't in Manaus, anyway. <laughs> uh, no, I think there probably is one in Manaus on the on the river, although there's all kinds of things in that river, Owen. I feel a little bit nervous about swimming around there. I'm sure people do, but I just have a kind of a a fear of slimy things that live in the darkness where I can't see them. Mm. Um, I, I, it's, it's just one of the ways that I'm, I suppose, a little kink in my, in my personality. Um, I don't know. I mean, we, we saw that earlier on in the week or last week, Grant Wall talking about how he dresses to impress. Do you think it's a, do you think it's an important thing? Should I invest in something a little bit more business like? No, what you are wearing right now would impress me if I was Neymar <laughs> and I was in the mix zone and I saw you. I'd say, "I'm going to this. This is a fun guy. I'm a fun guy. I'm going to talk to him." Final question: Who are you going to miss the most, me or Murph? Well, I don't think I miss either of you because I'm going to be talking to you every day for uh, for our World Cup show. Sure. So I mean, I'd, it's yeah. a much smaller world these days. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to miss you at all. Okay. Uh, so. So you'll miss nobody. No, uh, well, I mean, I miss I miss some people, Owen, but uh, but you won't be one of them. I'll be I'll be talking to you so often, uh, I'll almost feel like we're uh, we're still together. Get to the airport, Ken, and have a safe flight. Thanks, Owen. Bye, Ken. We'll chat to you all soon. We'll meet again. Don't know where. Don't know where. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.